Well, good morning. Glad you're with us. My name is Shane Wanamaker. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. Uh, And I just want to say welcome to all of you, and especially anyone who is joining us for the first time or second time, just checking us out. We would love to know that you are with us. And the way we do that is we take this connection card that's by your seat somewhere. Uh, If you would fill this out and take it out to the Connection Center after service, Michael will be out there. He would love to to greet you, answer any questions you have, as well as give you a gift. Uh, And we just appreciate you coming and joining the Fellowship family this morning to worship. We also use this card to collect our prayer requests. And so if you have anything you want us to pray for or to celebrate before the Lord uh, with, if you just write that on here, you can put it in any of the baskets located by the exits. And that is also where we collect our offering as well as online. So if you would like to participate in worship through offering, you can do that in the baskets or on our website. I want to call your attention to a couple things uh, that are going on. Today is a big day. Uh, it's the Super S-U-P-E-R Bowl, of course, but we also have the Super S-O-U-P-E-R Sunday going on, and that is our efforts to help Bethlehem House restock their pantry. Michael gave them a call, and they are exceedingly low, and this it comes at a perfect time for us to help fill their pantry and continue to, to minister to our community with some food. So if you forgot to bring any, or if you're like, hey, that's news to me, I'd like to participate, uh, the youth will be having, uh, their, the high school will be having a Super Bowl party here. You can bring them by uh, this afternoon and drop them off in the atrium. Or if you can't make it by then, please just take it over to the Bethlehem house. They, they really need the food. Uh, another thing I'd like to call your attention to is after... Two and a half, three and a half years, we are returning to Nicaragua. It has finally opened up. We have a new place that we're going to be going to partner with in a new area. And this will be our first trip to go and equip pastors uh, theologically, relationally, pastorally, so that they can be better ministers to their congregation. So what we're doing is, over the next two weeks, is we're taking up a collection and you can sponsor one, two, a hundred of these pastors for their food, their travel, and their lodging for guess how much per person? $40. That's all it takes to support one of these pastors for the week where they are getting trained and equipped so that they can go train and equip their churches. While we're down there, we're also going to be scoping out opportunities Uh, beyond just the Bible Institute, where we can invite more people to join us going down there and ministering to them in a variety of ways. So stay tuned for that, but be looking for that table out in the atrium over the next two weeks, or again, we'll set up online where you can start giving next Sunday as well. Well, this morning we are uh, not going to continue in Kings. Ken is teaching through the entire Bible, book by book, week by week, Uh, but when he's not here, it's, it's me or Michael, and we get to choose what we're going to be teaching on. And this morning, uh, our topic is going to be discipleship. And I don't know where you're coming from in terms of discipleship, but I came to faith my sophomore year at Hendricks College. I had some people that were in a ministry called Student Mobilization that had a great uh, perspective and outlook and a heart for other people. They kept reaching out to me. They befriended me. I got to know them. And through that relationship, God used it to show me who he was and to bring me into his family. 
So as a sophomore at Hendricks College, I came to faith and was trying to figure out what this Christian life was. Thankfully, there was someone there that said, hey, follow me. Come with me. Let's, uh, I'm going to invite you into my life. I'm going to help and let you get to know my family. We're going to study the Bible together. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to encourage you. We're going to point out sin. We're going to help teach you what this Christian life is all about. And early on, I had somebody discipling me, and it made such a huge difference. So I don't know if you have a story like me where you came to faith and immediately had someone investing in you, or maybe you came to faith really early and it wasn't until years later that someone started investing in you uh, in a discipleship relationship, or if you've never really been discipled by anybody. But wherever you are, this morning... God's Word has something for us, and I'm excited to dive in and take a look at it. And I've, I've titled this The Master's Course of Discipleship because what we're going to be doing is looking at the actual words of Christ and what He said about discipleship. And we're going to start with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and these words are from Jesus uh, that were spoken in between His resurrection and His ascension. So a pretty, pretty small window, pretty important words that were captured as Jesus is talking to his disciples. So let's take a look. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. His disciples have come to him and he says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Which is a great intro, isn't it? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Like, you're hanging on. You want to hear what the next words are. Okay, now what? Therefore, because of that, in light of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. In these words, Jesus, knowing what's about ready to happen, he's going to, to leave the disciples, he's going to hand off the baton to them. And he's giving them their commission. He's commanding them to make disciples. The verb in, in this passage is make disciples. So as you're going and as you're baptizing, just make disciples of all nations. And he's handing them the baton, and they have witnessed what has happened to him. They have witnessed how he has been treated and what his opposition has done to him. So I imagine as they got that baton in their hand, there was some fear and intrepidation. And then he gives them the promise, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Discipleship is a huge thing. It's God's plan to reach the nations through the church, to, for us to reach out and make disciples. But we've got to figure out what he says about what that means. Our mission here at Fellowship is actually all about discipleship. Fellowship invites people to enter God's story, equipping and releasing, reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to see uh, what we get out of God's word not be a dead end, but go to someone else, and that go to someone else. And that's actually what we do in Nicaragua as we go down there and we teach them different elements of church and of theology and of ministry. And we want them to take it and then go put that into their congregations, and the congregations put that into their families, and the families put that into their communities, and it just expands and expands and multiplies. And that's our goal for everyone in here. And we do that in a variety of ways. 
Sunday morning, we try to equip you with God's word. Ken always talks about repair and prepare. The world tries to tear you down throughout the week, tries to put little lies into your ears. And when you come here, we try to just anchor down in truth, stomp out all the lies, and repair you from the week and prepare you to go back out. Our small group ministry has people that we, we put together in uh, living rooms all around Faulkner County so that you can study God's Word, you can pray together, and you can serve together. There's Bible studies. There's uh, all kinds of opportunities. And then you've got the people that are just like, I'm making disciples. That's what my life is about. And you'll see them in different rooms here at the church or at coffee shops or at different establishments, just getting together with one or two other people, talking about God's Word, life, and what, what it all means. This is what we want our church to be all about. So, what did Jesus say about discipleship? Well, the, this is front end of mind because of many things. One, because this is an opportunity for us to talk about discipleship, talk about our mission, and really try to clarify some things. But also, I'm taking a class on the Gospels, and one of the assignments is to talk about discipleship. I'm like, well, the guy who uh, actually is teaching the class wrote a book. Guess what it's on? And Ken happened to have it in one of his thousand books. So I've been studying up on that, and, and a lot of this comes from his insights into seven things, seven traits of what Jesus said is a disciple. So we're going to dive in, and we're going to be in Luke, uh, Luke most of the time with one quick jump into to Matthew and then one into John. But if you go to Luke chapter 14 and have your finger on Luke chapter 9, uh, that's where we're going to spend our time. Someone told me, if you're not going to have all the slides up there with all the passages, give us where it is so we can mark it. So, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What I love about this passage is Jesus has a large group of people following him. And they're probably all over the spectrum. There's the disciples who are like, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I, I am in. Then you got the people that are like, I'm trying to figure this out. There is something different about this guy, and I need to keep following him just in case he really is the Messiah. Then you got the skeptics that are like, I've heard the stories I want to see for myself. you got the curious, I don't know. I've I've heard some stories, and I just want to check it out. And then there's probably people that are like, I just want to follow him because I either need a miracle or I really want to see one. But his following is growing as he's on his journey to Jerusalem where he knows what's going to happen to him. And they're about ready to witness the cost of following him. And so he stops, and he does something that isn't typical. You know when you're watching TV and those drug commercials come on, and it's the, the, 
the guy and the girl riding their bike by the beach or out to a fancy dinner, and they look great and amazing. Everybody's happy. Everything's hunky-dory, and this is what this wonder drug is going to do. And at the very end of the commercial, what is it? It's like an auctioneer of what's going to happen to you. Possible death. I mean, just like eight times speed to say, look, look at all the benefit. We need your money. And it might do all this. Jesus is like, hey, you're following me. I need to check your motivation. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you up front to evaluate the cost. And I'm going to give you some of the fine print and bold print. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I asked my brother to save for second service because I picked him in first. And he said, no, I'm going to go home, but my kids will be there. So uh, this, this passage, I mean, when you first read, it's like, wait a minute, I... This, this is a little off. Jesus tells us to love people. He tells us to honor our mother and father. I mean, he gives us this family. Why are we supposed to hate them now? What does that mean? Uh, and and I've, this has been a, a tripping up uh, passage for some people. Until you know the context. And uh, we're going to go to Uncle Chuck uh, and, and ask the question, are we supposed to really hate the family? And what Uncle Chuck says is, in the Near Eastern cultures, hate is a matter of priorities. You don't actually, you're not supposed to actually hate your parents, but as a matter of priority, Christ and his purposes and your love for him is supposed to far exceed that of even your closest relationships. And so it's a literary tool, not a command to hate. So Luke, read. Jack, you guys are okay. I still love you. But you're on the bubble. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and, and that helps give us a picture because what Jesus is saying is the cost is high because I have to be the top priority. There is nothing that can compare to me. There is nothing that should compete with me in your affections for me. Charles Talbert says this, Loyalty to Christ supersedes all other loyalties. Your loyalty to him is above any other relationship that you have. Our commitment to Christ categorizes every other commitment as secondary. And this one's a tough one, isn't it? Because we think through our days, our weeks, our months, and all the commitments we have. And when the going gets rough, when we get busy, when we're tired, when it feels like one thing after another has been happening, what is typically the first to jettison for you? But I see... What I want and what happens around me is usually it's the things of God. Usually it's our time with our small group. Usually it's uh, coming to church. Usually it's making time for those close in our relationship that we're, we're trying to study God's word, pray, and, and serve together. And we let everything else ride that maybe doesn't have any spiritual eternal value. And Christ says... Man, I, I need to be your top commitment. I need to be your number one loyalty. And I think that's a challenge to us all, but a challenge worth fighting for because he is worthy of that slot. So point number one, trait number one, characteristic number one of 
discipleship according to Jesus. Disciples have a supreme love for Jesus. It's a matter of priority. Compared to every other relationship, top billing. Every time, every day, every moment. Jesus is to be number one. So there's a question that follows that. Is, is there anything in our lives that's competing with that slot? Do we have a number two? Is that number two pretty high and sometimes takes over number one? Is there something in our life that we find ourselves thinking about, talking about, and acting on over and over and over again that is opposed to Christ? Is not in unison with him being number one. And that could look like a bunch of different things. It could be your dreams, your plans, uh, what you want for your life. And you're like, hey, I don't want to turn this over to God because I know what I want. And, and my love for this dream supersedes my love for him, so I'm going to go my own way. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a desire to have a relationship. And that's competing for your relationship with God. Maybe it's entertainment. Ken talked, remember when Ken went on the rant? How many people liked the rant when he was teaching through Judges? Okay, a couple people. Grant, I think you texted him during that service. Um, but anyway, I mean, man, what about entertainment? We get so focused on that, and it pulls our affections, our attention, and our time away from God. Addictions. Man, it could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be all kinds of addiction. Pornography. Those things want to suck the, the love of God out of you and into it. And we've got to come before the Lord and talk to other people and battle there so that God has the top spot. Maybe the Lord's laying something else on your heart that fits this category. Maybe there's something that you're like, nope, it's none of those, but it is this. And this is an ongoing battle. And whenever we find our heart drifting towards something else, which, unless we're intentional about Christ, we drift away. We need to stop, we need to confess it, and we need to get community around us. That's why it's so good to be in our, our small group ministry of home church. That's why it is so good to come to a small group in the youth and be around the college group. Like-minded people with the same purpose of knowing and growing in Christ and doing it together. That's the way we do it. Having those two or three really close friends that when, when everyone else is gone, you can go, let's get down to business. And this is what's going on in my life. That's what's going on in your life. Let's pray and let's just talk about ongoing until the Lord has victory in that area. Man, this is what it takes. It's a high cost. And Jesus lays it out right there in front. Let me go back. So then he continues in 14.27. After he finishes 26 with, he cannot be my disciple. If, if I am not number one, if I am not top billing, if compared to other relationships, I'm not number one, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That verse is a whole bunch like Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Luke 9.23 is also in Matthew and in Mark. And they all tell the, a similar phrasing of this passage. Uh, Luke kind of adds some extra detail because he's that guy. He's that detail guy that in his writings you know you're going to get the whole story. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, 
He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And Bailey points out that there's three different points in here that uh, Jesus is making distinctions about discipleship. Deny, take, and follow. Deny yourself, take up your cross, bear your cross, and follow me. And so we're going to go through each one of those. Uh, He has seven in his book. We're going to get through four today. Uh, And if it goes well, we might do another three next month, depending on if after this they keep letting me teach. Um, So here we are at Luke chapter 9. It says, deny himself. A disciple must deny himself. What does that even mean? Well, Dr. Bailey says the Greek word for deny literally means to say no to yourself. We've got to say no to ourselves. Now, my kids are over here, some of them, and if you ask them, and maybe even my wife, they would say, I'm pretty good at saying no. If you ask our staff here at Fellowship, they would probably say, I'm really good at saying no. But what about when it's about me and myself? What about when no one else would know? It's crazy. I, I spent the weekend at a basketball tournament for my kids, and there was a thousand people. I don't know how many people there. Um, and we were competing, and after one of the games where uh, we beat this team from Fort Smith pretty bad, they all left, and a kid came up to me and said, Hey, Coach Shane, uh, I found this basketball. And, and it wasn't just any basketball. It was that 60 to $80 basketball that we used for all the games. And, and I got really excited because I, I don't want to buy a 60 to $80 basketball right now. And I'm like, oh, this is an Evo. And I'm like, but it says Fort Smith. So I took the ball and I walked around looking for those red shirts that say Patriots on them and looking for anyone. I asked our director, hey, do you think anyone from, from Fort Smith is still here? He's like, no, they've all lost and gone. Of course, we were the ones that beat them. Um, bad. Um, really bad. But we sent them home crying. Uh, and so I, I'm sitting here thinking, I got a new ball. So I said, well, what do you want me to do with this ball? He said, put it in your bag. I'm going to let everybody know. You have a week to let me know or claim anything in lost and found, and then it's gone. I'm like, oh, in one week, we're going to have a new basketball. So fast forward, we get through two more games, the championship game, and we're about ready to go receive our our trophy for third place. And I look over in the stands, and the coach that we thumped earlier in the day is sitting in the back right corner. And I'm going to admit, for a fleeting moment, I was like, he would never know. I'm like, what on earth are you thinking? You know, that little voice that tries to get you just to give an inch is always there, isn't it? Just that question, hey, he wouldn't know. I mean, he's not even supposed to be here anyway. You did what you were supposed to do. You were told to keep it and wait a week. And I'm like, shut up. That is not who I am. And I went over to read, and I made him give me the basketball he didn't want to. He said, they'll never know. No, I'm just kidding. He, he would have given it up even quicker than I did. 
and went over there, and the coach, I tried to get his attention, hey, coach, coach. He finally looked at me, I said, here's your ball. He's like, I was looking for that all over. Where'd you find it? I'm like, I stole it. <laughs> no, I, I said, one of the kids brought it to me. He's like, thank you so much. I just have an issue that for that fleeting moment, there was even a voice that said they'd never know. We have to understand that to live this verse out, we have to constantly be on alert to say no to our flesh, to say no to the internal voice that wants to tell us to go opposite of Christ because there's one more powerful that is within us, the spirit that we are to walk by. And that's the voice we say yes to. No to ourselves, no to our flesh, and yes to Christ. Yes to his ways, yes to his agenda. When things don't go our way and we're like, you want to pout and you want to walk away because you didn't get your way, you say, no, not my way, your way, Lord. And even if you don't get what you thought you wanted, thy will be done. Disciples, discipleship according to Jesus, disciples disavow their autonomy. We are not under self-rule. We are not under self-direction. We are not um, selfish people. We are those that say, I give all of that up for you, Lord, because you are better. What you have for me is better than what I ever could write for myself. And we deny ourselves and we go his way, his agenda. So the question do you have an agenda that's proving difficult to lay aside to pursue the Lord's? Thankfully, the basketball wasn't difficult. But maybe there's something in your life that is. Maybe there's something that you've had your heart set on that you've always wanted that you, you just aren't ready to give up yet. You feel like the Lord wants you to give it up. Maybe you hear that voice and you're like, I just need that voice to go away because it's the Spirit saying, give it to me. Trust me. And you're just not there yet. Well, know that he is worthy. Whatever it is, whatever agenda it is, lay it down. Pick up his plans and his purposes, and it will be better than you ever could have dreamt of. We go on in the passage, same verse, 923. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross. You know, the audience of Luke would have known what this meant very well. Living under Roman rule, the Romans had perfected how to torture, how to uh, embarrass, and how to kill methodically and mercifully. And here they are being told that they are to uh, take up their cross, to bear their cross daily. They would have heard that and understood, you know, the, the Romans are experts in inflicting maximum suffering and shame. And part of that is the, the beatings and the floggings and stripping them naked and then parading them through the town on their way to their execution, carrying the tool of their execution. And so these words were heavy and hit hard back in those days. So Charles Swindoll helps us out just to, to get a little more understanding of this. Therefore, to carry one's own cross is to bear the public scorn of discipleship and to accept the inevitability. You know that this didn't happen first service. Inevitable suffering it brings. Man, this is, this is what Jesus is saying. 
He knows what's about ready to happen to him. And these words probably resonated even stronger after his crucifixion. He's saying, you do this. And then he see, and they see him do it. They're like, man, Jesus didn't retreat. He didn't back down. He didn't waver. And he paid the price. And he calls us to do the same. You know, we're not facing death right now. I think in Europe and even north uh, of the border in Canada, there is a lot being done to silence uh, speech and, and limit beliefs. And it's probably coming our way more and more. But even before that gets here, I mean, we grapple with even talking to other people. We struggle to put our faith out there because it might change our relationship. It might make someone uncomfortable. It might put us in a weird situation at work or on the ball fields or wherever. And, and we don't stand. We don't want to bear the, the burden of being known as a disciple of Christ or believing what we believe. That, that was a harsh reality for me at Hendricks. Uh, I was a new believer and didn't know any better, so I was telling everybody about the faith in Christ I had found and what he meant to me and what, what I had learned. And relationships changed before I even knew what was going on. And finally, someone's like, well, I guess we should let you know. When you put your faith in Christ and when you believe the Bible is true and Jesus is the only way, people take offense to that. I'm like, why would they take offense to that? In those last years at Hendricks, I had people that wouldn't talk to me, would turn and walk the other way, and, and would do things to try to limit my influence on campus. And you know what? It's okay, because it was worth it. And God still worked even through that opposition. Daryl Bach, do you guys remember Daryl coming? Remember we gave him the nickname, the Bachinator? We never said that to his face. Um, but this is what he says. To deny ourselves... In the context of cross-bearing, means the world may kill us for walking outside its paths. But we are ready to do so because God has called us to walk a different way. The world may kill us for walking outside its paths. They don't like when we go outside of what they deem as the mainstream. But that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to walk a different way and persevere through any opposition. And that's bearing your cross. Discipleship according to Jesus, disciples bear their cross. And finally, oh, we got a question first. So are there situations or relationships that you're hesitant to be bold for Christ? And is there, maybe it's families. Family is usually the top one. We've got someone in our family that's not a believer, and, and we just have a hard time talking to them about Jesus because they know me, they grew up with me, whatever the story is. But it could be a coworker, it could be a close friend, it could be someone in your neighborhood. Is there someone that it's just hard to be bold for Christ? This week, I would just be praying and asking God to give you the faith that conquers your fear and allows you the, the words to start sharing. And even if it works out the way you worry about, persevere because Christ is worth it. Finally, discipleship according to Christ involves following him. And the, the words that just came to me is an undivided allegiance. 
undivided allegiance. We're going to follow him wherever he goes. We're going to go wherever he leads. We are going to do whatever he calls us to do. We are not divided. We are all in. And that's what Christ wants from us. He was all in for us. He didn't stop. He didn't hesitate. And we are to follow his pattern and go all in for him. Disciples pattern their lives after Christ. Think about the times in my life where I just got to that point where I'm like, I'm not sure I can keep going. This one may be too far. I, that's just too far into the unknown, too far out of my skill set, out of my abilities, out of my knowledge, out of my relationships, whatever it is, out of my norm. I don't know. And then I would remember where God had brought me from and how he had overcome obstacles in my past and had seen me through the things he had called me to. And that gives me what I need to continue to follow him wherever he leads. I can't tell you that there's not some hesitancy sometimes, there's some fear sometimes, but when I remember who he is and what he has done and that he has never left me and he's always faithful, it helps me to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Well, when we talk about discipleship being costly, it is. Jesus puts it right out there in bold with these first four. You've gotta, he's got to be your top priority. You've got to be saying no to yourself and yes to him. We have to bear our cross. We, we are going to suffer. We are going to be persecuted for what we believe and how we stand for him. But we must persevere, and we've got to follow him no matter where he leads with an undivided allegiance. Yes, discipleship according to Jesus is costly, but he is worth it. He is absolutely worth it. John uh, records Peter saying this much. As Jesus has taught some really difficult messages, and uh, I think we've talked about this in the past, and people get to the point where, well, it was fun following you until now. And so they start leaving in droves. And Jesus goes from a whole bunch of followers to not many. And he looks at those followers and his disciples, and he goes, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And old Peter, love Peter, he steps to the plate and he hits this one out of the park. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He said, there is no second. There is no one close to you. No one has what you have. No one is like you are. Who else would we go to? There is no one else to turn. We know who you are, and we are in. And that should be our default. When the road gets rough, when opposition arises, when doubt attacks, we don't turn because there is nowhere else to turn. He is above all. He is greater than all. And he is worthy of our all. So what do we do with this? Well, first, I made a resource for y'all. 
Ken, I'm out at the Connection Center typically, and people come and pick up resources. I'm like, maybe we should have resources. Michael, we'll, we'll just keep doing this. This is number one. I'm starting to count now. Um, so Chuck Swindoll has some great insight on Luke chapter 14. Uh, I put it together, put it out there on the Connection Center. Uh, if there's 50 at the end of the day, I know that it will be my last resource. Um, but it's a really good read. Here's some next steps. I will share with a close friend something competing with Christ in my life as my supreme love or an agenda I am having difficulty laying aside to pursue the Lord's agenda. This is also one of the home church questions. I mean, this is where we need community. If there's something going on, you've got to find that person or persons that you can confide in and let them know and let God do his work in your life through community. Maybe it's, I just need to take a small step. And, and that step is in the morning and at night, I'm going to start and end with, God, I want you to be the supreme love in my life. Let all the in-between reflect that. And then at night, God, I know I, I had some good moments and some bad moments. Please forgive me for where I fell short and prepare me for tomorrow to wake up and you be my supreme love. And just that awareness will help focus and make you intentional towards the Lord, and God will use it. Finally, maybe you do what we're doing with Nicaragua. You're going to take some of these truths, you're going to study them some more, put them together, and go have coffee with somebody this week and share them with a younger Christian. Help a friend in need with these truths. Pass it on. Don't be a dead end. Finally, an opportunity that just happens to line up with this uh, but was not planned is uh, Chris Keir with Downline Ministries, which uh, is a discipleship ministry in town, does a nine-month uh, intensive discipleship training, uh, top, <clears throat> top-notch. If I had been smarter, I would have done this and gotten a whole bunch of credit to DTS so I wouldn't have to pay all the, the tuition money, but I'm not very smart, and so uh, I missed that opportunity. But you don't have to miss that opportunity. March 9th and March 13th, there's a preview day that you can go check out Downline and uh, consider signing up for next year. And I saw Chris earlier. I think he's gone home with his family, uh, but he is easily available. Uh, he has an office here at the church and would love to talk to you about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for who you are. Thank you for being worthy of our lives. Thank you for uh, being worthy of being top billing in our lives, our number one priority, our number one love. Father, would you help us live that reality as we grow in denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following you. Amen.